at praise church, the crow's nest. We really had a crow nest. Y'all remember that thing? It was in the back. You had to climb up the stairs. And it was up in the corner. Y'all remember that, Gloria? That thing? And you know who started running the sound and used to climb up there every Sunday? Diane Van Gunn. I was like, how does she do that? Pretty amazing. All right. I'm going to give you a review of last week's not message, but the scripture that we read out of Hebrews 10. So if you'll be patient with me just a moment, I'm going to read a few scriptures here. Remember, remember, I'm reading the Bible, okay? It says, so friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God into the holy place. <laughs> Somebody say, I like that. Is that Johnny back here today? John, my man. I'm, I'm healthy today. I'm glad you came back, buddy. That's, that's Jimmy John's brother. So he said, we can walk without hesitation right up to God into the holy place. I don't want anything getting in my way of doing that. Yahshua has cleared the way for us by the blood of his sacrifice. Acting as our high priest before Yahweh. And listen to this. The curtain into God's presence is his body. We are his body. So the curtain to get into what, with boldness to get right into the holy place of God without hesitation is through the body. So let's do it. Full of belief. <laughs> Listen to this, coach. Confident that we're presentable inside and outside. Let's keep a firm grip on these promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in avoid, to be in encouraging love and helping out and not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. <laughs> I was playing golf with a guy. He asked me, was I ready for the big day? I said, you betcha I am. He said, well, who do you think is going to win? I said, I am. He said, what are you talking about? I said, what are you talking about? He's talking about Super Bowl. I don't think the big day. I don't, yeah, I do know who's playing it. Let me go back here. If we give up, listen close now, and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been given, all the truth we now know, we repudiate Yahshua's sacrifice and are left on our face, our own face, excuse me, and are, and are left on our own to face the judgment, a mighty fierce judgment it will be. If the penalty for breaking the law of Moses is physical death, what do you think will happen if you turn on Yahshua's, Yahweh's son and spit on the sacrifice that made you whole and insult this most gracious spirit? There is no light matter. Yahweh's warned us that he'll hold on to us and hold us to account and make us pay. He was quite explicit. Vengeance is mine. And I won't overlook a thing. And he will judge his people. Nobody's getting by with anything, believe me. Now this is the Apostle Paul talking. Remember those early days after you first saw the light? You, those were the hard times. We got kicked around in public. Targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you. Other days your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. 
You were sure of yourselves then. Confidence, coach, again. It's amazing how people begin to talk in the sanctuary and it goes along with everything. How many times does that happen, Joel? All the time. Joel, you have a song? I'm like, dude. You were sure of yourselves then. And this is what he said. And it's still a sure thing. But you, don't, but you need to stick it out and stay with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. It won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up almost any minute. But anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I won't be very happy, Paul said. But we're not quitters who lose. I said, we're not quitters. I'm not, hey, I, I ain't a quitter. Are you a quitter? I am not a quitter. Man, we ain't quitting, are we? We might do a lot of things, but quitting ain't one of them. Who lose out? Oh, no. We'll stay with it, and we'll survive trusting all the way. Woe to them. Now, listen to this. That have taken the way of Cain. Now, this is another scripture. This is, I've jumped, I've finished my Hebrew scripture. I'm jumping into the book of Jude. There's only one chapter, so it's Jude 11. That's the verse 11. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. I've taught on that, and I've really focused on Cain. And I've talked about him before, and I'm going to use him again today to help us hear the word of the Lord for us that's going to change us. And it will, it will do it in whatever your denomination might be. And I don't mean church denomination. However you are, if you're a $20 man, a $50 man, a hundred or a dollar man, whatever, the Spirit of God is going to take what I'm saying today. And if you'll receive it, if you'll try to understand it and, and listen, what will happen, it will do a work in you at wherever you are in your life. And it'll not only do what I'm, the purpose, the main purpose, but God's going to touch you in some other areas this morning. I read the, the word perilous. The Bible said that there be, will be in perilous times in the end. And I found out that the word perilous is the same word that's used. It's only used twice in the New Testament. And the other place it's used in Matthew talking about the maniac at Gadara. He was perilous. Which really means, what's, what, what are perilous times? People are going to have a lot of mental problems. There's going to be a lot of emotional problems, mental issues. That maniac at Gadara, he had some issues, mental stuff going on. And the Bible says in the last days, we're going to go through a time. And I've got to tell you, I have never seen in my lifetime people with the, such a great life be so miserable in my whole life. Can you say amen to that? Can you acknowledge that truth? There are people that are so miserable, and the Bible prophesied that kind of stuff. And so this morning, I, I thought, I'm going to use this guy. I'm going to use this murderer. <laughs> and that might seem an odd choice for us to study a biblical character. You know, maybe we should do a, a hero or something. But this Cain character is so interesting. There's something fascinating to me even about criminals. You know, some of y'all watch these stories on how to kill your husband. You know, the, the, who, I didn't know who I married. You know, y'all you know, watch that stuff all the time. I know you do it. They play this all day long. And I look at Bevy. You, you ain't got no plans there, do you, honey? Yeah. She said, just go buy me some antifreeze. <laughs> some of y'all get that. They pique my curiosity because their crimes exist on the periphery of their of imagination. I mean, you, sometimes I say, how are you that stupid? You're going to get caught. You know, you're just stupid. 
But among all those Bible villains, you know, Cain, he was the world's first murderer. And he, I think he ranks pretty high on, you know, the Bible's most wanted. He was notorious, man. But in spite of that notoriety and how big an impact he's made in my life and in the scriptures and, and through history, there's not a single reference to him, to his, him, his crime in the Old Testament beyond Genesis chapter 4. What a big impact, you know. That fact alone has always struck me as surprising. And even more remarkable to me after 4,000 you know, years of absence from the Bible record, here they are in the New Testament bringing him up again. Now here we are in 2024 again. Here's, here's the direct references in the New Testament. It says, do not be like Cain, <laughs> who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Y'all know the story, right? Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. By faith, this is chapter uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Do you know you can offer, some people can offer a better sacrifice than other people do? Other people? By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. A righteous man that brings a sacrifice to God is accepted. When God spoke well of his offerings, he said, man, look what he did. And they show he's righteous because they don't lie, they're not lying to me. They're not trying to hunt, hide nothing. They did exactly the way. The Bible says, don't go the way of Cain. And we've learned about that, that Cain did his own thing. He became his own God. He made his own rules up. And he, had, he used a little Bible here and there. Okay, I, have, I want God to help me with my children. I don't want them to get crazy, so I want God to help me with that. But yet, they don't want God to help them tithe. I want God to help me with my, my husband or my wife and my marriage, but yet they don't want to help God by coming to church. They, he don't, it goes on and on. People, we, we have that, and that's how Cain was. He chose his own faith, kind of. And it says that when God spoke well of his offering, and by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead, talking about Abel. And then it says in Jude 11, what I just read to you, woe to them who take the way of Cain. So why did the New Testament writers think that Cain was relevant to their first century audience? How is what happened back then relevant? And what is it about Cain that was particular, particularly significant about the first ecclesia? I mean, this dude... I think, and I've, I've taught this before, but we're gonna, you, it's good to hear again. I thought the dude was messed up. You ever have somebody and they're, they're just like, man, they, they're so emotional, they're so messed up. One day they like you, the next day they don't like you. You haven't even seen them, haven't talked to them or nothing, but they don't like you and they're mad and they don't come, then they come and they do I mean, y'all know people like that? If you're married to them, don't raise your hand. This dude was messed up. So why are people like that? Is it what their mom and daddy? Well, maybe when they were a kid, but now that you became a man, it's, you're not allowed to blame nobody else. Can you say amen to that? Thank you, three of you. This dude, you know, I, I want to analyze his personality type. What was he? I, I think he's a uh, personality type messed up. And I can imagine it because I know people whose parents tell them, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. 
You're the, you're the most wonderful. You're going to be Miss America. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. And they grow up. And guess what? Nobody even wants to take them on a date. It's a rude awakening. Oh, beautiful this, beautiful that. You're going to be the president of the United States, son. You're going to, you know, and I'm not against encouraging people, but, but there comes a day of reckoning of truth. In this guy's case, I believe he had what some people might call a Messiah complex, a, a Christ complex, a Savior complex. And it's a state of mind in which somebody holds a belief that they're destined to become the Savior today or in the near future. Now, that word Savior could mean all kind of stuff. You know, saving, saving your family. or save, But in this guy's case, why wouldn't he have felt that way? His mother was told that her seed would bruise the serpent's head. In other words, that her son would be born and he would be the deliverer and the, and the savior of the whole human race. That made him impotent. I mean, important. That made him, I'm sure, think more highly of himself. How would you like to hear mom and daddy? Well, my mama did tell me I was, but... Um, if you told you all the time, you know, hey, you're, you're, you're going to save the world. You're, 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 you're the Christ. So thinking that way puts him in a Frank Sinatra personality type. I did it my way. So when you think so highly of yourself, then uh, like, like this man, he thought, I don't, I'm not bound to Yahweh's laws. I, you, don't you know I am the Savior of the world? So when these two brothers, I believe they were twins. That's what I believe. And the, the latter shall serve the younger. I can get into all that about Esau and Jacob and all that, but I'm not. But I believe there were twins. And when they became mature, Cain and Abel, they were capable of exercising the ability for them, themselves to make moral choices and accept responsibility for their own action. And that's what Rome, uh, Genesis 4-6 is actually telling us. Well, why do you think they're like that? What did their mother do to them? No, you, when you come to maturity, you become responsible for your own actions. And if you feel you're a failed parent and you haven't raised your kids or you missed the opportunity, that might be so. But now that they're grown, it's up to them. In the first example, the Lord said to Cain, listen to this, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I'm going to be accepted when I stand before Yeshua on, the, on the, the big day. Don't you? It's this simple. Genesis 4. You just do the right thing. If you do what's right, on that day, you'll get a well done. He's empowered us by his spirit. He gave us a clean slate. Washed all of our sins away. Made us a new creation now. And gave us the ability to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we have no excuses. It, it indicates choice. And it also indicates responsibility. So in our serving God and about willful sin and all these things he's been pressing on us to get, get in handle, we have the ability, that we're number one, to make the choice, but we, and we also have to, are responsible if we make the choice or not. Y'all with me today? The first example demonstrates that Cain had the ability to make a moral choice, and God let him do it. The Messiah, so they thought. While the sample, second example illustrates Cain's sole responsibility for the decision. All right, you got the choice, you're going to make the decision. 
but you're not going to get the goodies if you don't do what's right. See, people think, if you were here this morning, I don't mean to single you out. I'm here to help you, encourage you to grow, to do the right thing. I made a declaration over finances and things today, and I wanted you to join in with me. But those who aren't doing the right thing can't participate and can't partake of the blessing. You're just not going to have it. It's going to be, you're going to be short of it all the time. And I'm not just talking about tithes and offerings. I'm talking about all examining yourself, wanting to serve God, putting him first in your life, those kind of things. But the person that does right will get the blessing. A lot of people don't understand that in this wicked world of tribulation, he'll make us overcomers over these things that will call, cause the normal person to fail. From Yahweh's perspective, neither Adam or Eve was accountable for Cain's action. He grown man. This is what he said to Cain. Listen to this. What have you done? He didn't say, what did your mama do? What did your daddy do? What did your brother do? What did your sister do? What did, what? He said, what did you do? What did you do? I tell you all this. I ain't a Mormon. So that means Bevy and I aren't going to be married throughout eternity. And when we stand before Yeshua, I'm not going to be able to cover her anymore. I'm not going to be able to say, hey, uh, she's married to me. So I cannot protect her anymore. She's going to have to stand before God all alone by herself. And he's not going to ask you, what have y'all done? See, marriage is for one purpose. Do y'all want to know what it is? People tell me to procreate and replenish the earth. Well, none of us want to do that anymore. True? That's why, that's why uh, the Muslims are outgrowing us because they're out babying us. The fact of the matter is, as we walk in this thing that God's called us to walk in, and God has given us this opportunity to now to have this marriage relationship, it's not for procreation only, but it's to be heirs together and joint heirs. She is going to help me get my well done, and I'm going to help her get her well done. That's what a spiritual communion and a real marriage is all about. Period. Now, if you got having sex, yeah. If y'all having y'all enjoy being with each other and laugh, great. But the number one goal of you marrying somebody ain't to have babies. The number one goal is for you to help your wife get her well done and her to help you get a well done. And I want you to listen closely. And that's what the ecclesia is about too. That's the main reason. Not just to get knowledge. The main reason is that we're having that relationship like Christ and the church. Y'all hear me today? I'm going to tell you what. You want to make it happen right? You want a great marriage? You make that your priority. I want to tell you what. Ain't nobody ever going to love me like that girl. I say it all the time because that's just the truth. Ain't nobody going to ever love me like her. She helps me above all that other stuff. That's where the power is, guys. What have you done? I'm doing it the right way. And guess what? She knows this. And if she don't do it, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. And if I don't do it, she's still going to do it. Now listen to this. Abel was able to make moral decisions by the fact that he did what was right. By offering an acceptable offering to Yahweh. Can't we just do what's right and just make the kind of offering he asked us to do? Can't we just once in our life finally make a decision and say, look, I'm going to do this right. How, what do you want me to do, God? I'm going to do it. Consequently, 
The introductory phrase of Genesis 4-3, listen to this, what it said, in the course of time, in the course of time. It refers to Cain and Abel's physical and moral maturation. It might be, it might have said better like this, look, and when Cain, when Cain and Abel reached maturity, when they became grown, in the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, Yahweh, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. I don't know if this is a secret or not, but I get a text the other day wanting to know if I like brisket. Now, there's only one time I've ever had brisket that I thought was really, really good. And though both the chefs are in the house today. I was in the hospital. I think it was for, right before heart surgery because you did it on the 4th of July, and I had 5th of July surgery, and they brought me uh, Corey's brisket up there. And I don't like, people can't cook brisket, man. I mean, ain't, a town, ain't nowhere in here that can really cook it the way I like it. But anyhow, so here I am. I'm going to have heart surgery at 5 in the morning. <laughs> and he brings his brisket. He brings his brisket right in front of me. You can't eat for 12 hours on me. Oh, my God, what time is I got 30 seconds. You know, I want to tell you, but I ate that right there, man. I ate that brisket. So anyhow, this week, this, when was it? Thursday, I believe it was. And Thursday or Friday, it might have been Friday. So I get a, a text from Shane. You like brisket? Absolutely. He had pictures of it on Facebook. I'm like, I'm like, he'd have made you proud, Corey. So he said, you want some? What parts? He said, we have slices, this, and burn-ins. I said, slices, this, and burn-ins. <laughs> he brought it down. He brought it in there, man. I want to tell you what. And I said, I said, he said, what can I do to make it better? I said, for me, don't cut none of that fat off. Don't cut none of that fat off. I want a ribeye. I want the fatty part, you know, the tail and the cap. I don't care if the eyes. Oh, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm getting hungry here, man. Get carried away. You're just getting anointed. Yeah, the anointing. Y'all are all paying attention. We're going to Sonny's or wherever y'all go. So Cain brought, look here. Cain brought, and this is how I read it. He brought some fruits of the soil. Some, he just brought some. As an offering to Yahweh. But Abel, he brought, he picked out there fat portions from some of, some of the firstborn flocks. Do you see the difference? Yep. I'm just going to go some, get some of my crops out here. Go get me some of that, them turnips out there. And he found out that God, that you can't get blood out of turnips, though. Amen? Because the sacrifice required blood. I'm glad you got that. They reached the age to where they understood, they knew, uh, recognized moral responsibility. And like baptism, which is done at a mature age, so too was the presentation of these offerings. They didn't just dunk children in there and them not know what they're doing. Now, I let kids take communion because I got many whippings for taking communion because they used to have that grapes, Welch's grape juice in the refrigerator of the church. And I'd drink the whole bottle of it in communion time. They didn't have nothing. And my daddy whipped me many times for that. But when I was a kid, that Welch's grape, well, it's still good. I can't get an amen. It was a, it was a kind of proto-baptismal kind of rite. We're going to bring this offering. Signifying to Yahweh this. They understood that their nature was mortal. I'm mortal. You're not. How their actions are related to sin and death. And importantly, the shedding of blood is required for the forgiveness of sin. They knew that. So what did, what did Cain do? He brought turnips. And you can't get blood out of a turnip. But he said, well, I'm special. 
Don't you know who I am? I don't have to do what everybody else does. I'm different. I'm special. Yeah, you are. You are special. Trying to help us this morning. Releasing what Yahweh is saying to me and through me to you. We are responsible. going to stand before Yahweh alone. I won't be able to help y'all. I won't be able to help my children and my grandchildren then. It's going to be horrible. I won't be able to help you then. I got an idea. Let me help you now. Let me help you now, man. I can help you now. That's what I live for. Yahweh required a blood sacrifice. One view as to why Cain's offering was rejected by God, it emphasized the condition in which the offering was made. Listen, not necessarily the offering. Are y'all listening to me? I want everybody to hear what I'm fixing to say, please. Put pause on your video game, frog or whatever they play on there now. Listen to this. Genesis said Cain brought some of his harvest, while Abel's offering is described from, like we said, the fattest portions of his flocks. Abel brought the best that he had, while Cain brought whatever he had. There you go. Here's something for us for the future year. You're going to get out of debt with all these things, debt for uh, sin and all that. And I know we've been forgiven and cleansed of our past sins. Abel brought the best he had. Cain just brought whatever he had. Oh, we got an offering. We go, let me see. I got 20. Okay, I'll put 40 in there. It's a state of mind. It's an attitude. It's who we are. And listen real close. He cared about what kind of offering he brought. But he also cared about the spirit in which it's offered. The lady with the two mites, she didn't have much. But to her, it was too much salary. And she brought it. And she, her right, she had a right spirit, and her offering had a right spirit. In other words, the quality of our offerings, and again, I'm not just talking about money, but yet it includes money, is indicative of our attitude or our beliefs. In this particular case, God cared more about what kind of offerings, no, excuse me, God cared about what kind of offerings, but he also cared about the spirit in which they were offered. Regardless of the condition of the har uh, condition of the harvest that Cain offered, or what his attitude was in presenting him, his offering was always going to be rejected. It's going to be rejected. I don't want your offering to be rejected. I don't want you to give to this church and it not count to your heavenly account. I don't want you to just help me pay the rent and the light bill and all that kind of stuff and the insurance. I want you to tithe in the way that God gets honored and then you get honored back. Can y'all hear me? I've run a lot of people off from this church by being honest with them who gave a lot of money. And I told them, I can't accept your tithes and your offerings anymore. I'm not your apostle anymore because of what your character is. Y'all know them. You think I enjoy doing that? Number one, I'm stupid as a businessman to do it. Have you ever acted real stupid when some people start saying stupid stuff to you? Instead of embarrassing them or say, have to correct them right in front of everybody, you just act like you didn't hear them, you just act kind of stupid. You ever done that before? I know there's a few people in here that don't have that capacity. <laughs> they just call them out right there. It'd be so much easier just to let it go and say, you know, uh, that, well, they're, you know, they are giving 2000 a month. Give them $2,000 a month, there's four of them. That's a, what's that? That's 8000 a month right there. Uh, maybe it's okay if they're going to be that way. But I ain't about that. I'm responsible for your eternal soul. You understand it. 
I'm begging me, man. Come on. His offering was always going to be rejected. Why? Because they did, his offerings did not involve faith and obedience, which is what? Okay. If you do what's right, I'll accept it. And if he accepts it, then he returns it, pours it out on you. And that's why most people don't know the true blessing. Life is tore up, messed up, and they, well, it's just life is good. That ain't true. He said, I will rebuke the devourer. And I'm going to tell you who the devourer is. You look in the mirror. Y'all know who narcissist is? Not a narcissist. But this was, narcissism is named after a, a person, Greek mythology or whatever, named Narcissus. And Narcissus was in the woods one day, and he came to a pond, and he looked into that pond and saw a reflection of himself and fell in love with it. Read it. It's an interesting story. I'm just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of me, can you? I'm just like heaven to touch. I want to hold me so much. At long last, love has arrived. And I thank God I'm alive. I'm just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of me. Can you? Now, y'all stand up and help me. Da, 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 da. Oh, babe. Y'all help me. Come on. Hey, pretty baby. Okay. I gave you your chance. I'm entertaining this, month, this morning. Plants don't get, have blood. God requires the forgiveness of sin. Blood. You, you know, Cain and Abel were but just, they were just second generation humans. But they were still, they were still in their spiritual infancy. But they were still required to be responsible and obedient to elementary truths. When I'm preaching, quit sinning, tithe, come to church, that baby stuff. If we can't get past that, nobody's going to get a well done. Nobody. I mean, that don't mean you don't, you don't you know, fall into temptation. I'm talking about willful, just flat out, nah, that ain't how I do it. You know, we're going we're gonna to change that. We're going to change it. You know, we're going we're gonna to change it to what's comfortable to me and my shadow. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgments. These guys said, hey, Johnny, I want you to tell us some deep stuff. So tell us some of that stuff. I said, okay, here, here's where we're going to start. We're going to start about Constantinian nothing. We ain't going to start about, what we're going to start about is this. Repentance from dead works. Faith toward God. Doctrine of baptisms. Laying on of hands. Resurrection from dead and eternal judgment. Do you know how many pastors and people have never heard and don't know the foundational principles? This is what they say. You got Jesus, don't you? They got Jesus, don't they? What are you saying? They got Jesus. Fig leaves, which Adam and Eve initially covered themselves with. Guess what? Insufficient. Look, you big dummy. I think more and more of my life, I find the word stupid appropriate. I mean, dude, Cain, your mom and daddy already tried turnips. You cover themselves with them. It doesn't suffice. And even though their efforts to remove their shame and guilt were sincere, I want to tell you, the covering of fig leaves was considered insufficient. I believe a lot of the shame and mental problems people go through today is because of this very thing I'm preaching on today. They can't cover their shame. You can't fight sin with sin. Instead, Yahweh clothed them in animal skins, which came as a result of shedding blood. Genesis 4.4. 4. 
The wording, it says this. Yahweh looked at with favor on Abel. What did we say today? That I have favor. I have favor. You don't have favor if you don't do it God's way. Is that too hard? Huh? Can we just say, yeah. He looked, had favor. Yahweh looked with favor. Watch this. On Abel and his offering. Not Abel and his offering. He had favor on Abel, righteous living, and his offering. It was what he, God required. But on Cain and his offering came his offering, he didn't look with favor. And if, if God don't look at your life and your offering with favor, then you don't get any back. In Genesis 4, 4, that's where that's at. Notice, the verse does not say that God looked upon Abel's offering, but he looked upon Abel and his offering. He looked not, God did not reject Cain. He rejected Cain first and then his offering too. Cain was not conscious of the particulars of Yahweh. He knew of God. He even feared him enough to come bring an offering. But his pride of who he thought he was, that he could just decide what he wanted to do, show up when he wanted to, give how he wanted to, be and treat people the way he wanted to, he was, it, that stuff blinded him to the instruction and requirements. He was ignorant of what God required. And I'm here today to get you unignorized. We all know what happened. He rejected his offering. And guess what happens when Yahweh rejects your offering? Whether you admit it or not, because you're not reaping what you said God said, and he said he'd do this for me. Well, he said he'd do it for you when you did this for him. I always examine myself. Okay, this ain't happening the way it's supposed to. What am I not doing right? Is it me or my offering? Y'all hear me? So guess what happens to people? They get mad at Yahweh. They get mad at me. They get mad at God. They get mad, you know. And, and, and so what do they do? They become a murderer. He got mad, and he murdered his brother. Now, Genesis 4, I want, I want to finish with this this morning. And Yahweh said unto Cain, this is verses 6 through 12, Why are you wroth? Why is your countenance falling? Why are you pouting? If you do well, you're going to be accepted. I can fix you today, y'all. I can change your outlook on life. I can change your countenance and your hope and your belief. If you just do well, you'll be accepted. And the other side of that, if, if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Why are we not doeth, doeth well? Why aren't we doing well? Because sin is lying at our door. We need to get rid of that junk. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And Yahweh said unto Cain, where's your brother? Where's your brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Now I want to tell you, though, that sounds cynical to me. That sounds cynical to me. But I want to throw this in right quick because of where we're going. The title of this is, Am I My Brother's Keeper? Part 1. I may not ever finish this, but part 1. I think I'm going to finish it this month. Yahweh says, Johnny, where's your brother? I see he's right there. He's right there. Serving God. I said, whatever you did. Y'all see him? Serving God. He'll drive overnight. He'll make, well, make Crystal drive overnight, won't he, Crystal? Make you leave vacation early, won't he, Crystal? You get to here. He'd drop you off. Y'all were on vacation. I was preaching. I looked up. Heard somebody saying, amen. That's right. Come on. Joel's sitting back there. I'm like, man, what are you doing here? I made Crystal drive me down here and leave her family and come down here so I could be in church. Where's my brother? He's right there. Where's your brother? He's right there. 
you got Johnny here, man. Where's your brother? He's right there. Now, I want to give you a break here. Some of you already tried to get your brothers. Huh? Y'all know what I'm saying? But I want you to hear something, what God is trying to say to us. Because he had a sense of responsibility for others rather than just himself and his, me, mine, me, myself, and mine. Are y'all listening to me? And this is another reason you ain't walking in the blessing. Listen close. Listen close. Hey, where's your brother? He right there. <laughs> He's right there. <laughs> Let me find it. I'm like, I'm going to let you now, Joel. I'm reaping. And he said, I don't know. Is it my job to watch after him? A little sheep herder boy? A little fat offering kid, you know? And he said, Yahweh said, what have you done? I can hear the brother's blood, the voice of thy brother's blood crying unto me from the ground. Now that's metaphoric. You understand that, right? And now art thou cursed from the earth. Boom. Oh, my God. Which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall be in the earth. A spirit of the traveler. People come in church, out of church, don't go, get mad, go, you know, don't have to do this. They, they wandering around. You know, let me tell you what, and they harvest, they, they sow a harvest, but that type, this cane spirit type thing, you will not get a yield and return. And that ain't just about money. I tell you what, I like a return on my peace and love. And I like a return on, for my joy. I like that whole fruit of the loom. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm not. Cain displayed this shameful tone of, I think, presumptuous disrespect in the way that he insultingly replied to Yahweh. Y'all hear them. Y'all know people like this. Like, God, God, I'm those are not words. It had not been on record on the, in the scriptures. If it hadn't been there, we might have doubted whether a man could speak that flippantly when actually conscious that God himself is, is there addressing him. Dude, are you crazy? This is God. I see people do it all the time. They're flippant with God. They just do whatever they want. They think they can just get away with it. You won't. I read to you what Hebrews said. And he won't miss a thing because vengeance is his and you will pay. I just don't want you to pay. I know there's people right now who are in disobedience that they're, they're paying. When people forget God and his presence is no longer in their life, then they blaspheme and say stuff that's stupid. It's like being somebody on the Internet threatening to whip somebody, beat them up, and then they show up to your house. You have a whole different new demeanor. Can you say amen? Cain, but Cain knew it. He knew God. He was conscious that God was speaking. He heard him say, where's your brother, Abel? Where's your brother, Abel? Where is he? And he dared with the coldest rudeness reply to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keepers? Nanny, nanny, poo-poo. It's kind of how I see him doing it. As much as to say, do you think I have to keep watch over my brother as he watches over his sheep? Am I also a shepherd as he was, and am I to take as much care of him as he does of a crippled lamb, this guy, man, the brazenness of Cain was an indication of the state of his heart that led up to him murdering his brother. And it was also partly a result of his having committed that terrible crime. He would never have done it 
if he had not first cast off the fear of Yahweh and been ready to defy the creator, the uncreated one. Having committed murder, that hardening influence of sin upon his mind, I know it had to be so intense as he was able to speak to God face to face with that kind of hard-heartedness. My, my brother's keeper, I, I don't know how he emphasized it. To me, I'll tell you what it's like to me. Y'all ever watch court shows? Court, I'm not talking about dramas. I'm talking about real, like court TV or something. My dad was, used to take me on Saturdays to recorder's court. That was everybody that had to appear before the judge after Friday night. Most of it was drunk driving, domestics, and all that. And I would go, my dad would take me with him, and, uh, and I was used to love to sit in that. And I would go into the courtroom with him, uh, Judge Kenneth Followell, the city court of uh, Columbus. And I would go with my dad and watch the court cases. And, and so, I mean, I really love that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you what, it, it puzzled me how amazingly calm that really great wicked mean criminals can appear in court first of all they get a shave and a haircut and put a suit on you ever notice that i remember seeing a man on trial who obviously com committed a very very violent murder but i want to tell you what he looked like an innocent dude baby face little guy man you want to feel sorry for him he stood up in front of the, the, his accusers and and calmly and quietly as any innocent man you would think could do. For me, if I was innocent and I was accused of something I didn't do, I wouldn't be calm. Would you? I want to tell you what, I don't like for people to say, you said this and I know I didn't say that or you did that. I mean, I, I get angry. I sin not, but I don't, no, 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 no. I don't just sit there and say, okay. I think the distress of an innocent person's mind being under such a charge of maybe a life sentence in prison would have prevented being so cool and displayed. But here this criminal was, he's just like, la-di-da-di-da. -da. Shameless face when they charge you with the crime of slaughtering your family and those guys don't even blink. So dispassionate, so unmoved. Because he had that feeling, and that feeling led up for him to be able to murder in cold blood. Let me tell you about sin this morning. We got to start avoiding it. If for no other reason the evil effect that it has upon our minds sin will poison your heart and you say what kind of sin because god said do it this way if you do anything other than his way it's sin to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it's sin i'm talking about willfully choosing to just defy god well i don't have to do that we're different you know me and my family and am i you know i'm different i'm a, I'm a special person and we don't have to do that we don't we're, we're not that ain't who we are that kind of thing. I told you, for some reason, Yahweh's been on me about drunkenness, you know. And I want you to know, I don't think drunkenness just is with alcohol. You can be drunk with, with a lot of things. Jug was telling me this morning, you know, he said, you can be drunk on being, having to be right. But I know that alcohol, when it's abused, it begins, you know, they start hiding. It's hiding, lying, isolation, and then the inability to love. It numbs the inability to love. So the people that you say you love, and all of a sudden you'll quit loving them, and we don't realize it. That's because it's sin. Excess is sin. If we if we got to avoid that. It poisons the heart. It will cripple our conscience. That thing that we are born with that makes us feel guilty when we do something wrong. It'll drug it. It'll put your conscience, conscience to sleep. It will intoxicate our judgment when we 
are sinning and disobeying God, then we make a judgment and it's, it's totally, in, you're intoxicated. You're not, you're not able to see things clearly. It puts all of our faculties, I think, in a state of what I'm going to call drunkenness so that we become capable, listen, of ugly bravery. I've seen, I've seen alcohol and drugs destroy families. You'd never believe it. I, I think of a family right now that y'all know, and they were in our church, and I went to their house finally and said, hey, I want to help your marriage. And this woman who seemed so sweet, she was a raging alcoholic, and she didn't drink hard liquor and all, she just wino. She's never looked at me cross, said anything cross at me, but when I came in there to bring correction because their marriage was coming to an end, I met somebody else. I'm like, her fingernails came out like this. Bing, 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 bing. <sighs> We're intoxicated with sin, including drunkenness, but just not tithing, not assembling with us in the body, not forgiving people. And all of a sudden, we get this ugly bravery. And, and listen, blind shamelessness. It is so pathetic to me when I see an ecclesian or somebody who says they're a believer or something, it's so sad that their sin has made them to the point that they'll, they'll just come out of the closet. No, that's just who I am. That's how I am. That's what I'm doing. And that's what, what's wrong with that? God forgives. God does this. And when I say closet, I ain't just talking about homosexuality. Y'all hear me? But it's, what I'm saying is there's no more shame for your sin because you're just too messed up now to even realize it. And it makes us mad enough to insult God to his face. Yahweh, save us. Save us, please, from having our hearts hammered to the hardness of steel by sin. Give us a heart of flesh. Keep us daily by your mercy and your grace, sensible and tender before you, and that we will tremble at your word. I know it's easy for us to heavily condemn Cain. The reason I'm using Cain is because we are not without guilt ourselves. Because if we look at it without prejudice, Every kind of excuse that we make to God is a very serious case of presumption. Yeah, but I'm dead, blah, blah, blah. We got all these things. When we are charged with any form of guilt, if we begin denying it or providing these extenuating circumstances, then we become guilty of the same sin of Cain as to being disrespectful to God who says, this is what I want you to do. And when there is any duty to be performed, what is that? Worship, duty, tithe, offerings, gathering, forgiving, encouraging, tell everybody, be confident, provoking the good works. That's, that's our duty, our spiritual duty as priests in the house of God. When there's that duty, we begin to shirk it. We try to make an apology for it, our disobedience. We try to explain it away. Does God charge me with what I have committed and shall I be so wicked as to attempt a denial? Does he command me to perform a duty? And I begin to hesitate and question and ask myself, shall I or shall I not? Y'all remember when I was kids, you say, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, okay, she loves me. Let me see if I'm going to have to make a decision here. I taught you many, many years ago, we were to obey quickly and quietly. How many of you agree with me God's smarter than you? Well, let's, see, let's see if we got any narcissists in here looking at, them, at themselves. How many of you think you're smarter than God? Why don't you do what he says? You want a life of blessing? 
talking about the real thing. I'm not talking about some church thing. And I'm talking about where God is really in your life and he's making a difference and he does things on your behalf and he comes to your aid and here's your rear garden. I'm talking about that kind of relationship. That's what I'm offering you today. Bold rebellion. You're so stupid that we think, man, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, God. He said, well, okay, I'll tell you what, vengeance is mine and, I'm, and you're going to pay. You don't do that, you're going to pay. Now, y'all, that ain't a threat from me. That's a warning from me from the threat God made. And I don't think he's just threatening. I've seen too many people's lives. The essence of treason lurks in every hesitancy to obey. Every time I hesitate to obey. Years ago, I was trying to learn how to obey God and hear his voice. And this is when we had the church on the, in the shopping center. It's my dentine story, Joel. How many of you know what dentine is? Y'all remember what dentine, what it used to come in, that little bitty wrapper, you know, it was a little triangle, I mean, rectangular, and it had that little wrapper. I'm riding down Jacksonville Road one day. I, roll my window, I put some dentine in my mouth, I rolled that thing up into a little bee ball and threw it out the passenger window, right across the street in the church. And all of a sudden, the conviction of God got on me, and I pulled over. Now, see, I used to didn't care about what the earth, I littered the earth because I didn't think I was going to live here forever. I thought I was going to heaven. Man, I literally here. I threw cheeseburgers out. I throw. I don't care. Banana peels, garbage, McDonald bags. Hey, why? I'm gonna be in heaven. Surely there's somebody up there. One of y'all gonna be bad enough. Y'all, you'll only be the street cleaners or garbage people. So, because that's what I used to believe. You might be the mayor and have this, but anyhow. So I pull over and I'm looking for that piece of dentine wrapper. Guys, it's this big on that road. You know, there's all kind of trash all there anyhow. I'm looking over for it. Now, you may think this is silly, but I'm going to tell you it's not because I was responding to something that I thought I'd hurt God, just not hurt him, but, you know, disobeyed him, being arrogant. You need to watch this. I get out there, and after about 10 minutes, I said, Yahweh, will two cigarette butts work? <laughs> the ignominious cigarette butts. I said, I can't find that dentine wrapper. Will you accept two cigarette butts? And I'll, I think he said, yeah. When, I, when you obey God at that level, it's easy to quickly and quietly obey him at other levels. It's like faith. If you can trust God for this little thing, it grows. This essence of treason dwells in every attempt to water down the seriousness of our insubordination when we have already disobeyed. You may think Cain is a monster because he dare to God's face be disrespectful did, did y'all know that Yahweh is omnipresent he's everywhere and every sin that you perpetrate he's watching us and keeping an account of and he said I don't miss one thing when you sin it's against him you're sinning and it's in his presence that you are doing your evil when we begin to apologize with all these excuses for doing wrong or hesitating concerning the duty that he's commanded us, we are disobeying, disobeying God in his immediate presence right in his face. We're just saying, no, God. See, we think God ain't not watching. I tell men this, I said, what you are in the dark when nobody's looking is what you are, period. My, my sins of commission are, are really small now compared to what they used to be. So now my, my duty is the sins of my thoughts. Be transformed by the renewing of my mind and casting down every imagination and thought that brings itself against the will of God for me. 
So now this is about my thinking. Because we're seeing in Cain, it was that pre-thought thing that led him to that. No, I'm not going to obey that. You may, you may pass on and walk it off and think uh, somebody may forget about the money you owe them, but God don't. Or forgiveness, or your praise, or thankful gratitude. You're just walking all over Yeshua. And I want to tell you, Yahweh don't like you walking over his son. Since we have doubtless been found guilty, let us humbly confess this. And let's ask Yahweh to give us great tenderness of conscience. That from this day forward, we may fear the Lord and never dare to stand up to question what he has to say. I'm going to set it briefly in a strong light this morning. It will be denying the right of God to make a law and to call upon us to obey it if we refuse to do what he's commanded. What you're saying is you don't have the right to say or tell me what to do. You know, every person in society is obligated under these laws of God. And if we decline to obey them, you will deny God the right. Somebody said, God loves us. He blesses all of us. No, wrong. You deny him the right for, to bless you, to forgive you, to heal you, to prosper you, to save you and your family. You deny him the right because that's how it works. Hey, man, I won't come. Can I come in and your, pl your, your plumbing's all messed up? I'll, I'm the plumber. Well, can I come in? No. Well, guess what? Your plumbing ain't going to get fixed. We start judging our judge. We insult God. High treason lies in that, my friend. Not only that, next you will be denying all claim. Listen to this now. Are you listening? You're going to be denying all claim on your part for divine mercy. Listen to me. I said all that today really to get to this point. You will be denying all claim on your part to be able to receive God's divine mercy. For example, I'm going to use mercy as an example for our whole life in what we do. If you refuse and will not render mercy to others, and if you deny altogether your responsibility to others and for others, you put yourself in this mindset of saying, I need nothing from another. This is what I'm after this month. I need nothing from another. I need nothing from another. When we refuse to do what God's called us to do toward him, this is what you're saying to him. I don't need you. And what that does, it shuts up everything. And what people tell me, they say, well, you know, I'm tithing, I do all that. Okay, yeah. God will bless uh, Charles Manson. If he tithe, God will bless that tithe. Because it's a universal law. I don't know who Charles Manson is, probably. I don't know any current mass murderers. So if we don't show mercy to somebody, for example, for mercy is going to be the example, and we deny our responsibility to that person to show mercy, to love them, to help them, to God, our neighbor, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your what? And your neighbor what? And your neighbor what? Those are the two commandments. I don't know if we're doing both, any of them. A bunch of us are trying, but some don't even try. So this is what, like, the, the mindset of a criminal and the murderer came, it begins to set in your mind and it becomes who you are. You preached it this morning, Reggie, or exhorted us with it. That's who we've become now. So now we have this mindset, I don't need another. I don't need anything from anybody. I don't need. I told you individualism is the sin of this era. So consequently and ultimately, you subconsciously develop this mindset 
mindset and start believing you don't really need anything from God. Nope, I don't need any, even anything from God. Well, guess what you're going to get? Nothing from God. And you're out there fighting by yourself. And I can see it on people. They're wore out, man. They get kicked around. What have you done? Listen to me. In this case, let's say we're using mercy for the example. I could have used giving and all other things. You've put yourself out of the reach of mercy now. You've, you've put God in a position. and You denied him the right to bless you and to help you. You're denying him the right to do it. He wants to, but you won't let him in. I want to help you. Now we're, we're out of reach of the mercy. Why? Because you yourself refuse to render it. To render mercy. Y'all hear me this morning? Because you can, you can de determine what your life is by what you do to others. You reap what you sow. And in the economy of God, you want to have mercy in your life? Then you have to sow mercy. Show mercy. You have to, you have to give mercy. When you bow your knee in prayer in this situation, you'll listen to this. You curse yourself. Our prayers are, you pray and curses you. For if you ask God to forgive your debts as you forgive your debtors, and you don't forgive your debtors, then guess what? Is that simple? Our Father, forgive us, those forget. Forgive my debt. My debt forgiven by God is based on my forgiving others. Y'all hear me? So when we get down to pray and we say, Father, forgive. <laughs> Forgive my debts as, as I have forgiven others' debts. Then he'll say, okay, I'll, I'll do exactly what you want me to do. What did you do? You don't forgive their debts, so guess what? You're cursing yourself by asking me to do for you what you do to others, so I'm not going to forgive you of your debts. But we think we can traipse right in, in there. Uh, you like that word, honey, traipse? We can traipse right up in that, into God's house, behind the curtain, without the body, into the holy place, and say, hey, bless me all over the place. I'm here now. I need, this is what I need. My, oh, my son, my daughter, oh, they need help. Eh, God ain't, God ain't going to answer your prayer. You, you'd have made yourself out of reach of even his mercy. Now, I know the grace people are going to they, they hear this. They're going to foam at the mouth. I don't care. When we ask God to deal with us as we deal with others, and he does, don't be surprised. <laughs> it ain't funny. But it's kind of stupid for us to do that. What mercy from God can we expect? We haven't planted any mercy, mercy so to speak. Thank you all for tuning in. Do what I said. How many of you heard me today? Huh? Can you all hear?